All right, here we go with another episode of Everything Combat, and joined by my co-host, Jeffrey Wilson. What's up, buddy? We are going to interview a guy that, you know, I'm proud to say this. He was my, really, idol my entire athletic career, which spanned from kindergarten all the way into my early 40s, and I still idolize this guy. Uh, he's done some some amazing things, things that... Uh, most people would never even consider trying. He's a two-time NCAA wrestling champion, an Olympic gold medalist, among other things. He had a winning record as the head coach at the University of Iowa of 355 wins against 21 losses, 152. And I'm, I'm just going to go right down the line. I don't want to miss anything. 152 All-American wrestlers underneath this man, 45 national champions, 106 Big Ten champions. 12 Olympians, eight medalists, and was also the thing that I, I think is one of the most amazing things about this gentleman's career as a wrestler was that he was the Tbilisi champion in Russia, which I think maybe 14 or 15 men have, have ever won that from America. So this, this is a unique individual who has driven many, many people, not just the guys that wrestled for him in his room, but... Uh, men across the country and boys across the country who, who wrestled, who never met him, who were motivated by him and, and idolized him. So we're very, very proud, very excited to have Dan Gable on the show today. How are you, Dan? 15-time NCAA hey, championship coach, too. Sorry. 15-time NCAA champion oh. coach. 17. Oh, I'm sorry. Jeez. How are you, Dan? So actually, Somebody correct you. It is 15, but oh. I had a couple as, a, as an assistant. As an assistant. So I'm Okay. Well, I'm counting the other two, so there. All right. Well, that's okay. All right. So anyway, um, you know, throughout your your career, you've done some amazing things, and really, what I have to ask you is, at what point in your life did you did the switch click for you as a wrestler to where you said, "I get it." That's that's the thing that that has always stuck with me. I've never had a chance to ask you that where you just finally said, I truly get it, I understand it. It's like a Rubik's Cube that I've figured out. And, and how old were you, and why do you think that is? Hey, that's a great question. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I always had that competitive ability to usually get the most out of myself, and that is a very important aspect just knowing how to compete and knowing how to compete at that highest level. And, you know, what that highest level is changes all the time. Also, just because you learn new things and there's new ways and there's new science. So you're forever kind of moving forward. But I would say that, you know, even though I was undefeated in, in high school for three years, uh, my, my, that's the three varsity years that I had because I was only eligible for three years. Uh, ninth grade was junior high. And then, you know, I went to, you know, went to college and, and uh, as, a, as a freshman, we weren't eligible either, but I got to wrestle in a lot of events and I was undefeated there. And then my sophomore year, I was undefeated and I'm the national champion. And so, you know, I have a lot of matches under my belt, and I'm undefeated in, in, in collegiate wrestling or scholastic wrestling. 
but I think it was my junior year in college, probably about a month into the season, my junior year. So now that's, you know, that's got a lot of, I got a lot of wins under my belt, but, but, um, all of a sudden I started dominating in practice like I hadn't before. I was always winning in practice, but if I went up a weight class or two and took on somebody that was a little bit bigger than me, you know, maybe they would uh, uh, beat me. Maybe they, it, maybe it'd be a tough match. Uh, maybe it would be, you know, not really uh, a, a decisive victory. Uh, so all of a sudden, about a month into my junior year, so now we're going through three years in high school, we got a freshman year in college. We got a sophomore year in college, and now we're into my junior year. All of a sudden, I started going to a new level of excellence that I had never been to. And by that, I mean I went up weight classes. I took on everybody in the room. I don't believe I lost a practice in my junior year. I mean, I didn't lose any matches, but I mean, I didn't even lose a practice, no matter who I wrestled against. And I started wrestling against everybody in the room. So, uh, you know, that's, and I'm, a, I'm a lightweight. I mean, I was probably 140, 150, probably wrestled 142 at that time or 137 even, but I just, I walked away every day, the victor, you know, and, and that just didn't happen before that. I was, you know, always a smaller kid, but I couldn't even beat some of the guys that were one weight class above me. And so, you know, all of a sudden things, you know, started clicking. So I started getting more confidence. And I think that was probably the first time that uh, I ever realized that things are working for me. But as long as I'm talking, I'm going to roll here. (laughs) So all of a sudden, my last match in college, so all through the junior year, outstanding wrestler in the nation, most pins and all that kind of stuff, team championships. Going into my senior year, I go all the way to the finals, and the finals is against a young man named Larry Owings, and I lose that match, and I lose it in the, like in the last 20 seconds. But but he had actually pulled ahead of me early, and then I come pulled ahead of him, and I was in a position to win. But even if I would have won that match, which, you know, it could have, depending. It was a call that could have went probably either way. But, you know, it doesn't always go your way. That's just the way it is. So it didn't go my way, and I lost that match. If you don't I mind, that and match, I don't mean to interrupt you, Dan. Can you speak to why that was? Because there was an element, like you said, right? You hadn't applied yourself as much as you wanted to, and he kind of pulled the Muhammad Ali and got into your head a little bit. He got in my head. He spoke a lot out verbally, and I started reading the newspaper during the tournament. But, but more than that, I started actually taking on a different role in my in my wrestling, you know, by that I'm saying I'm now I'm starting to be an advocate for the whole sport because the press was wanting to interview me, talk to me, uh, you know, that type of stuff. And I think the coaches and everybody else thought that there's no chance this guy's going to get beat. So I really uh, had some people that were, you know, looking out after me, but they really thought that the confidence level was so high. But anyway, you know what? It doesn't happen that way. No matter who you are, no matter how good you are, if you're not ready every time out, you're more vulnerable. And I was definitely vulnerable in that match. Things happened in that match that never happened to me before. And they may have happened, but I didn't realize it before because I was not actually 
going through the same routine, the one that you use for warm-up, the one you use for psych, the one you use for mental. And because of that, you know, it taught me a lot about not only my wrestling, but it taught me a lot about my coaching career. So anyway, because of that loss, that gave me the opportunity to get a lot better again. So there's another point right there. So all of a sudden I realized how good I was. Uh, and then I, I got a lot better in my junior year because of being able to go up and beat other people in other weight classes, having all winning practices. And then all of a sudden after that loss, which most people thought I was pretty good by then, I had 181 straight wins and I had pain streaks that still hold up. But all of a sudden I started getting better again, quicker than I ever had before because of that loss. And that's what took me to the next level. That loss gave me the opportunity to get better again, to be more motivated, to understand more about what I needed to understand in, in my own abilities. And so I started doing strategies, and I started doing a little bit more artistic type of wrestling instead of just tough wrestling. And so now I, ha- I kind of had it all. You know, that's a, that's a huge deal. What... It's a huge deal, Dan, for you to not. I mean, cause that's a life lesson for some people. Look at a loss as like a failure, where you know the, other people look at a, a loss as an opportunity to grow, and that's exactly what you did. And that's, I mean, that can't be understated. That that's really huge because, like you said, you took your stuff to a whole nother level after first being devastated by the loss. It took a good family support, and I I was, I always say I don't like to use the word luck, but lucky is when you're kind of born into a group of people that really look out for you. So I had a lot of people right. looking out for me. But So I was able to uh, kind of start to get off track, and somebody would get me back on track just from a, a verbal or, you know, somebody was meaningful to me, and I had a lot of good friends, too, and they knew what I had put into it. So, no, I, I um, was able to go to a higher level than ever before in a quicker, in quicker time than I've ever did. I think I actually got – as much as I got between my sophomore year in high school to my senior loss, which is like seven years later, I improved every year, but I improved in the next year after that loss as much as I improved in that seven years. And it's because I started looking at the sport. I started looking at myself. I started looking at what I need to do, not just be a tough guy. And so that's kind of uh, the the meaning of – this painting that is out there on me right now calling called the art of the fight. Oh, yes. And it's something that I had this fight and the, and Russians look at us like we're good conditioned, good athletes. We're good fighters, but we don't look at our sport like an artist looks at a painting. And that means that there's a lot of fine tuning. There's a lot of really fine elements. And so I still had to keep that toughness and I had to start becoming more of an artist in my sport to be able to go to the next level and and win a, a world and Olympic uh, championship. And you can find, ladies and gentlemen, the, the www.mikecupka.com, K-U-P-K-A, and you can find uh, the paintings uh, Dan's talking about, the art of the fight, mikecupka.com. Now, and are these are these paintings being bid on, or is there a set price for the copies? I mean, how how do how do people go about that, Dan? Yeah, no, they're on their on the website. There's uh, there's some uh, affordable ones for uh-huh. young people for for great uh, holiday gifts. I mean, there's thirty dollar uh, nice uh, artistic paintings that are that are great for young people or anybody. But then there's also for people that really get into art collections, and 
that like to have famous paintings of certain people and and if I'm in that category they they go up in price I mean right. they start out I think about 30 bucks for those um, posters but you know they go all the way up to um, I think they're pretty expensive I mean they could be I mean I think there might be a two or three thousand dollar painting in there but they're a lot different obviously and they're kind of masterpieces that type stuff so yeah for an art collector that's that's not a high right. price to pay for people that love art, especially art around sports and around, around legendary sports figures. So that's that's certainly more affordable uh, than I think a lot of people expected, which is awesome. So I would I would expect those paintings to go pretty quick. Well, I would, I hope so. Uh, you know, I like I like to promote um, the sport of amateur wrestling, and and uh, you know what's kind of funny is is that uh, you know there's. Uh, I'm a wrestler. Never really did uh, a lot of martial arts. I did some. I did, you know, I did. Well, actually, wrestling is a martial art. So, yeah. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, but you know, it's you know, also, uh, you know, I I did some judo stuff, and I really I combined it with my wrestling, and it, and it came through in a world semifinal match where I was actually in a struggling match, and I hit a foot sweep, which really isn't a known wrestling hold. I mean, there we we do have it. But it's more like in, in jiu-jitsu or ju- judo, and and I hit an unbelievable foot sweep that set my opponent in orbit, and uh, <laughs> you know about knocked him out. When he, but I, I don't, he may still be up there, but, but uh, <laughs> I, I think he landed because I had to turn him over and pin him. But he was knocked out almost, and they didn't know it. But wow, it was one of those things that uh, when you kind of uh, spread yourself a little bit, you know, and I and I and I know that uh, you know Pat, you did a lot of fighting and MMA and, and uh, you got this grip called the Gable grip. That's, that's even involved with the MMA. So, Oh yeah. And I, 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 when I do seminars, I cuss at the, at the MMA people that don't know it yet. Well, that's they like, better learn it. That's like, a, that's because of you. That's a day one. That's a day one thing in Iowa, right? Yeah. No kidding. It really is. So I want to go back to your junior year when you when everything started clicking, and I, I've got to drag you back there because I want people to understand who didn't grow up wrestling. To even be good enough to be in a Division One level wrestling program is is pretty hard to do. I mean, you've got to be a pretty special individual. But to be able to go into a room weighing, you know, like you said, wrestling at the, at the weight that you did, you weren't a, you weren't a huge man. You were 150 pounds max. And smashing the heavyweight and and the 190 pounders, 197 pounders, stuff like that on the team, and beating those guys. I don't think people fully comprehend how difficult of an order, how tall of an order that is. I mean, that for professional athletes in combat sports, for people to understand that, that would be like um, Floyd Mayweather beating Mike Tyson when he was the heavyweight champ, and also being able to when Evander Holyfield was the cruiserweight champion being able to beat him and on down the line you know to a bernard hopkins at middleweight or super middle um you know all those types of guys that were much bigger and being able to beat those guys in a boxing match that's basically the equivalent of what you were doing against all your teammates in a division one room yeah it uh it was pretty amazing i think one of the strategies and i go back to uh, that conditioning aspect is that i was able to bring him down to a, a lower level of what they're really true effectiveness was and so all of a sudden they might, really might have had something good 
might have had something to do with your speed and and aggressiveness too, right? Oh yeah, I'm sure of that. And but I'll tell you what it really had to do with had to do with physics. Uh, you know, you say you go to school to learn how to wrestle, you learn how to go to you know different classes, but I'll tell you the physics class is one for fighters and for wrestlers that you really want to kind of understand because you got to really kind of understand what it is if you really want to do it and then you'll go about doing it more so it's like me even though i weighed 150 pounds i was using my opponent's weight against him i was using my weight against him and so whatever he weighed and whatever i weighed that's how much uh power i had so you know that leverage it's like going up and picking up weights i mean if you're a weightlifter there's technique involved there's strategy involved. It's not just straight grunt. And that's kind of back, you go back to that painting again. That's that artistic part. And so I learned a lot of really angles. And I learned a lot of positioning by just squatting and putting my weight down. What's kind of funny is that I got all these grandkids and it's, it's automatic. I go to pick up a grandkid and he don't want to pick me up and he's only one year old and he goes into a full squat and he's a lot more heavier <laughs> down on the down on the weight because he's got all his weight down in one little ball and it's like it's not spread out and that's kind of what happened when somebody would shoot on me i would hit him with not a weight of extension but all that weight was squashed and and put wow. him on a position so, <laughs> that's yeah. basically that's that comes from practice you know you got to learn that it's got to become a natural kind of reaction and then you know then you're going to be a lot better then you're going to be right. a lot better yeah so i uh, and I wanted to ask you a question about, you know, wrestling technique and as it relates to, you know, wrestling's been around for at least 2,000 years, we know. Same as pancreation, which was wrestling with, with the fighting involved in it, which is modern-day MMA is that version of pancreation. But when we, when we think about it, and I see people and they'll say, hey, I, I, invented, I invented this technique. Look at this. And whenever somebody – that's something that I'll never – claim ever in my life that I invented anything that had to do with fighting, um, I would say maybe I rediscovered it because things go in cycles, I think, and I want to get your, your feedback on that. In all the years of my fighting and wrestling and everything else, um, you, you, as a group, a training group, um, guys would get good at certain things, uh, certain setups for, for techniques, whatever, and then everybody that that person trained with would become wise to it, and it long, no longer became uh, effective, so to speak. They'd have to move on to something else, a different setup, whatever it was. Um, but I think, uh, and then and then new ways were created, and it was a constant, evolving uh, thing with technique. And I think that throughout history, obviously, that that has gone on in cycles, that cyclical cycle um, throughout history, and things just get rediscovered, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. Uh, what's really interesting here is, you know, our, some of our most famous wrestlers, John Smith, uh, David Schultz, these guys had a, an ankle leg cross, an ankle cross that they, uh, that they did to a lot of people when they got on top of them, you know, and it's, and it's, it's painful, but it, it's so painful. It allows you to turn the guy several times and, and win the match just on a technical fall. But but everybody, you know, you know, a lot of people don't master that, and so it goes away for a while. Then you see all of a sudden John Smith and Dave Schultz performing this, and all of a sudden they 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 get the claim, they get the 
the, the reason that, that that moves out there. But, you know, it, you go back. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I watched uh, the Olympics in 68 in Mexico City, and there was an Iranian that actually put that same move on Bobby Douglas and just Bobby fought it and tore his knee off up so he couldn't even perform anymore but you know those moves are evolved and it just takes the time to actually perfect it and that's what most people don't do take the time to perfect it so you know they're they're around for a long time now there are some things that really are astonishing this year with uh with with Kyle Snyder getting pinned in the world finals right by a, a, a Russian wrestler that came out and hooked elbows and rolled him to his back. And people were saying, like, you know, even Kyle, he said he hadn't seen that double hook before. And, and uh, you know, it's like, yeah. But then I looked and, and I see where the Russian's from. He's from uh, Dagestan hmm. uh, down there. And, uh, and all of a sudden I look and he, there's, you know, I look at the wrestler that I wrestled in, in the Olympic finals from, and he was from Mahachkala and he's from that same area down there. And I remember one of the things that he used to do to a lot of people was he would hook elbows and he would hook arms. And this is back in 72 when we're in the Olympic finals. So, you know, things evolved from a long time ago. And I'm sure that Ruslan Azrulia didn't invent it. He had, he probably got it from somebody else. And then now all of a sudden it's kind of went away because it's a hard move to learn. And now it's going to come back again. I mean, we, in Iowa, you know, we got a kid named Spencer Lee and he is a uh-huh. the nationals last year as a freshman. And he's showing a new skill on top and it's not really a new skill. It just hadn't been around for a while, but now a lot of people are start trying to do it. Now they can't do it as well as he can because he's been perfecting it for a long time. But it's coming around again, and a lot of people are, are turning people uh, a little bit easier than they have from the top position. So that's kind of what you're talking about. And you're, you're right. It's, wrestling's been around for a long time. And some of these same holes were back then, but sometimes they just kind of change the rules. And because they change the rules, you adapt to the rules, and you might not use the same skills. You may have to find some other skills to adapt to the rules to make the sport that much easier. Right. Interesting so how now, such an old sport can evolve like that. That is so very fascinating. Yeah, and I just think the, the human body hasn't changed in 2,000 years, so we've had the same thing to work with, our brains and another body. Right. And, you know, we just we just rediscover stuff, and, and that's why I say we just – I've never invented anything <laughs> that has anything to do with fighting. <laughs> I've, I've never, never invented a single thing. So uh, – I. I'd love to move on to you know, how you used to cut weight. And your your old quote that I remember when I was younger was, uh, you know, you, you can eat anything you want. I'm just paraphrasing. You can eat anything you want as long as you're willing to work it off. And I kind of followed that. I really did. Um, you know, I would, I well, would I run did. the amount of miles, run the amount of miles that I had to and wrestle for as long as I had to, to, to keep my weight down or get my weight down to make weight. And I never missed weight as a, as a wrestler, as a kid, I never missed weight as a, as a fighter. But now we're, we're running into an epidemic in the sport of mixed martial arts where people are, even for world title fights, coach, uh, 
and gals are missing weight, and it's almost like it's an epidemic in society. Like no, you know, the, there's no personal responsibility, and it's 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 pretty troubling to me. And I, I'm just I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on people's excuses on on not making weight because I mean I I'm just assuming here, but I don't I don't guess you ever missed weight. Okay. No, I didn't, and uh, I always used to like to add this comment to it that I like I like to be able to be tough enough to be able to eat whatever I want. And besides what you said, you know, just working it off. And I really don't use the term cut weight anymore. And I think that the MMA and, you know, those fighting uh, people actually should actually study that aspect of more. And they should not be in a position that they're going to lose a whole lot of weight at one particular time. I mean, you can go to, I mean, I, to be honest with you, when I went to wrestling practice, if I had a hard wrestling practice, yeah, just for a short period of time, when I came down after practice, I jumped on the scale, if I, I might have, I've lost up to 12 pounds in, in a wrestling practice, and that was a lightweight. So, right. you know, it, but, you know, but you also learn that you want to keep some liquid going through you so you can have some better performance in practice. But sometimes when you're on a roll and you're doing, feeling well, and you just uh, you end up sweating a lot, and that's the way it is. But you can't depend on it on that way because you just you need to be able to have your weight down. Every day that I went to practice, every day at, at in the last year for the Olympic Games, by the time practice was you know started, as compared to when it was over, I I could I could have made weight at at, at that end of practice. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just. You know, so it's wow. one of these things that a lot of people don't take the discipline and they and you kind of go back to the old school. Well, you don't go back to old school because it's new school that what's what you want, because you want to keep learning and evolving and you want to actually manage your weight. If you're going to be somebody that loses weight and you don't want to uh, do it to the point where it hurts your performance or you may mess up and miss the weight and then. What's that do? You lost. You're not going to be able to yeah. compete. It's just that simple. So, well, and that's the so that's the that's the that's the quagmire that we found ourselves in in mixed martial arts because as you know, we remember as wrestlers, if you didn't make weight, you didn't get to wrestle. Well, now in mixed martial arts, people are not making weight and they still get to fight. They just lose twenty percent of their purse, so they're still getting paid, still competing, and now it's just you can see it just it. It started out as a crack, and now it's a, a massive opening in the dam, and a lot of athletes are not making weight. And the thing that's even worse is, you know, as a wrestler growing up, you have to make weight over and over and over again for every match, every tournament, throughout the entire season, where these athletes that are professional fighters, they only have to make weight three to four times a year, and it's, 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 it's even less excusable. Um, yeah. For weight, and so I, I've, I've, um, I've gone off about it numerous times, even on air, that it's so inexcusable that that this is happening, and, and I, I got not water. This is as far as down the political road I'll take you, Dan. But uh, I, I was in the middle of a broadcast, and the day before, one of the female athletes had had a lot of trouble. She did not make weight, and her trainer, she had her arms draped over the shoulders of her trainers, and they were literally dragging her feet, um, walking her away from the scale after she tried to weigh in, and it, it looked pretty bad. And, and the, the next night, she was performing great. She had rehydrated, 
and great and was was destroying her opponent and my my broadcast partner michael chavello who you remember from doing a, a he did an interview with you um michael said to me he said uh, she looks she looks amazing tonight you can't even tell that she had trouble making weight yesterday and i said yeah michael i said because yesterday she was doing the clinton shuffle because that was right around the election time when hillary was having all kinds of problems and my producer actually yelled in my ear and told me not to say that anymore. Wow. <laughs> but that's that's the type of stuff we're dealing with constantly in the sport. And it's it's unfortunate because it, it, it never crossed my mind to not make weight. Well, here's the thing also. You know, it's like you want to not make it the number one thing in your life. The number one thing is actually to learn how to get good to learn how to be good, to learn how to win, to learn how to be successful. And I have this quote that says, anybody can make weight, but not anybody can win. And so what's happening, those people that aren't making weight aren't really doing the things that's proper to win. Right. And because of that, uh, you know, I, they kind of fit into that category. So that's what they have to discipline themselves up to. They got to realize that every day when you go to practice, if you have a good hard practice, you're going to be able to walk out after practice and, and be able to make your weight. And if you can't, then you're going to have to adjust and get to that point where you can do that. And you got to do it over a period of time too. You just don't get it down to where you can do it for a week. You do it the year round. So my whole last year before the, uh, the Olympic games, I, I, every day, you know, I, I actually weighed, I think my weight was uh, about one, almost 150. That was what I could weigh. And I weighed in at 157 every day and every day I'd weigh out on or over a pound or under a pound. So, you know, it's just a matter of what you need to focus on. And if you focus on being successful and winning instead of making weight, because that becomes a mandatory thing that you control, that's controllable. How good you are is somewhat controllable, but you might go against some genetic guy that's that's got more genetics than you, and you just can't sometimes can't control that. I mean, that was that was determined maybe when you were born, and probably was. So yeah, well, and some of your stuff you really can't control. Go ahead. Some of your teammates, coach. I mean, you say you walk off the mat. Some of your teammates say you go so hard they would literally have to carry you off the mat. I mean, and speaking to that, you you ran the engine in the red, you know, for so long at such a high level. What were your kind of your and even even after wrestling, you know, what were kind of and you know currently, what are your tips, especially back then, as far as staying healthy? That's such a crazy rigorous sport on yeah, the body. Man, yeah, yeah, managing your life. I mean, uh, being smart, uh, recovering. Even if I had to do it over again, I would go back and I could be better than I was because I have a lot more knowledge now. But you know, it's one of these things that, you know, if you're really sore and you're beat up, you know, you go into that practice and you got to know what you have to do to get out of that soreness because that could evolve into an injury, could evolve into bad attitude and all those things. So for me, if I really was sore and I really needed a tough workout, most of my practice was warming up until I felt like I was not sore anymore and I could go and so you know it's one of these things and that that kind of helps but usually you're smarter than that you kind of know when you have to compete and that's when you have to perform mm -hmm. and so you don't want to go into performance by being all that weight over or mm -hmm. all that muscle sore 
So that's the smart way of training. And well, you definitely put the time in. You. you definitely put the time in. I heard you remark in an interview something about Michael Jordan says about being great. You have to at least put in ten thousand hours, and you had said something like I'd put in ten thousand hours by. You know, by beginning of high school or whatever it was you said. What do you? What do your speak to that ten thousand hours comment, if you don't mind? Well, you know that ten thousand hours is a pretty interesting statement, and so I figured it out, and I think I had it done by the end of my freshman year in college, and I really hadn't started college wrestling until my sophomore year because freshmen weren't eligible. So at that level, so I had three years of college, and then I had another two and a half years of international. So I um, I had ten thousand hours in between my junior high high school and my first maybe year uh, of college so that is that is called dedication folks one question i before we let you slide i don't know what i don't want to keep you too long everybody in the world of professional wrestling and i know you weren't a professional wrestler but obviously a, a fantastic amateur wrestler everybody has a a um an Iron Sheik story. Everybody, the name, his real name is Khosrow Vaziri. And speaking of Iranian wrestlers, you know um, the Iron Sheik, aka Khosrow Vaziri. Do you have any good stories about um, about Sheiky Baby? Yes, I'll tell you, I do. He's one of my guys that really helped make me famous. Uh, he probably helped me win the Olympic Games because when I trained at the University of Minnesota before the Olympic Games for six weeks or eight weeks, he was there. He lived there. He was up in that area doing his uh, professional wrestling, and he came over to work out with uh, some of the bigger guys. But, again, I wrestled the bigger guys a lot, so he, um, me and him went at it a couple times, and by the time he left that practice or those practices, he basically sent the word out to the world because he you know, is from Iran. Iran was a, is a great wrestling country. In fact, uh, the Iranians had uh, the number one guy's credential in my weight class there, but he was getting up to the uh, the age and uh, to where he was starting to maybe slow down a little bit. And I had won the Worlds for the first time uh, the year before, and that was the first time he hadn't won in five years, and he was back for the Olympic Games. But I don't know what he did for me, but I think he did enough verbal for me back in Iran that after the first round, the Iranian actually pulled out of the tournament he he was hurt a little bit but he was getting up there and he just didn't want to take on this gable guy i guess that uh <laughs> so i i have i have to give him a lot of credit for that because cool. you know word, word travels fast yeah, i'm a big fan of the iron sheik well and that, that's what you struck yeah. fear man i mean you would make people vacate their current weight class to jump to other weight classes nobody wanted to mess with dan gable well here's the thing it was like when the match was over you, you lost the match but you couldn't hardly walk off the match because <laughs> I kind of beat up a little bit too much. And it was it was it was legal wrestling too. There's still ways to to make people um, uh, squeal fall off the mat. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and that's what I would say. I, I wrestled from seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, and I thought, you know, I was just straight technique wrestling. And it was only until like later ninth grade that people were like, "No, man, those you can really jam them cross faces in there or pressure points and this and that." And I'm like, "Isn't that dirty or whatever?" Like, "No, man, you got it. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do to win the match." Well, you got the referee there, and he knows when to stop it. And if he don't stop it, then you can just keep doing it. Right. <laughs> Hated the crossface. My God, the crossfaces. Jeez. Well, that so, means you were on the bottom mostly. <laughs> I think I said. I, I re- well, it was interesting to hear that you you were. Ni- I wrestled uh, seventh grade, 
uh, 90 pounds, and then I ended ninth grade at 112. And it was interesting to hear that you were, you know, kicking butt at, at such a light weight. Oh, yeah. I went from 95 to 103 to 112 to 1. Uh, I jumped up to 130 then from in, in college. And then I went to 137, 142. And then I went up to final. My, my highest weight was 150. So that's what the world and Olympic weight was. I just kept growing every year one weight class. Yeah, I was skin and bones. Man. I was one of them late bloomers, man. I was just skin and bones. But I could I could thank my brother, my big brother Lance Wilson, for toughing me up a little bit. He would definitely uh, put some butt whoopings on me. Well, it sounds like you you've done all right with yourself. So I, I I think wrestling might have helped you a little bit. It certainly did during those years, man. It was I I didn't think I'd get through it, man. My seventh grade year, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm done. I quit. But I just I stuck with it. Well, it might not be as good as girls, but in, in your terms, yeah. but you know, you, you took, you took that turn. You I made that, turn, I made right? that choice. For I, sure. I waited till I was done wrestling. And then I got, and I found me a girl. Smart man. So I remember, I remember back in many, many years ago, of course, when Royce Alger decided he was going to get into mixed martial arts. And, and I know that, that you weren't real keen on it back at the time. You didn't, you, you've always been a pretty reserved guy unless it was coaching wrestling or, you know, while you were while you were coaching on the in the or uh, during during a meet, you you never really seemed to go overboard or, or tell people a whole lot of what you thought. You were always pretty reserved, pretty pretty mellow about stuff. But but I can tell you were definitely not overly keen at the time when the sport was new and and uh, you were concerned about the health of, of the athletes who were getting into it, of course, and uh, which is understandable. It is a very rough rough sport, but. Uh, I remember when uh, I had brought some a couple of couple of fighters up there, and I wanted them to to at least experience the Iowa wrestling room during the summer, not during your practices per se uh, during the season, but at least during the summer when the Hawk Club guys were up there, and obviously a, a lot of a lot of monsters are, are in the room during the summer, uh, training and and uh, up there working out, and and I remember the Brands brothers and Zaleski, and I think you were in the room off to the side and. And uh, I heard I was sitting against the wall at the time. It was my turn to sit out. And one of these guys that, that was not a big time wrestler, he was a good fighter, but not a, not a, not a great wrestler. And uh, he was out on the mat. I can't remember who he was wrestling with at the time, but uh, one of the Brands brothers asked Zaleski while they were out there, I, I heard him under his breath go, um, do, do any of these guys know wrestle? And then, and then at that exact moment, the, the kid that I brought up there, just got launched, got smashed, dumped on his head, and, and uh, Zaleski looked at him and goes, "No, I, I, I don't think they have. I don't think they have." And it was, it was kind of a comical moment for me, um, you know, with these all these all these monster wrestlers in the room and legends and, and like yourself. Um, I, I got a, I got a, a chuckle out of it. Let's put it that way. It was, it was pretty funny. Well, I tell you, when you when you brought up Roy Selger's name, I kind of chuckled the whole time just because. <laughs> Here's a guy that uh, is just one tough guy, but, you know, he, here's the thing. It's just like anything else. You know, mixed martial arts, that's why it's called mixed. I mean, you got to, you know, you can't just do wrestling alone. And, and that's how, when he got involved with it, he just trained in the wrestling room and only wrestled and really didn't do a whole lot of learning some of the other aspects. And because he didn't have that, yeah, he might be able to be okay and he might do all right, but. He, did, he, he wasn't even coming to wrestling practice uh, only but once or twice a week, and so he just kind of wa- walked in cold. And uh, I tell you, you still got to be in shape. 
you know. And, yeah. And I, I think when I remember watching him, I think he went really good that first round, and he was looking really good against a tough competitor in mixed martial arts. But all of a sudden, he got exhausted. And I tell you what, no matter who you are, if you're totally wiped out, you know you're you still got to train. No matter what you're doing, still got yeah, yeah. to hold up. And so, you know, that artistic uh, painting is a lot about science, but I tell you what, don't ever forget that word fight as well. So you got to be able to hold up and compete well. well this this, is, this is coming important. from an individual who, who ran to all of his classes at Iowa wearing ankle weights. So you, your conditioning was never Iowa a question. State, yeah. I'm sorry, Iowa State. Yeah, your conditioning was never, never an issue. Yeah. Well, it wasn't until I didn't warm up properly one time. Just like anything else, you still got to do your proper warm-ups because you just jump into some kind of a, an event that your heartbeat goes from at 70 to, to 200 in about five about 30 seconds. Yeah, it's going to take you over. You're supposed to gradually work that up. That's what's called warm-up. Mm. But uh, I really wasn't ready in that last match, and I got tired right away, and I and – I, realized it and i and i was thinking about it and i was supposed to be wrestling you don't think about how tired you are when you're wrestling so right right so now um as far as the you're one of your legendary the things that you're known for is having having four daughters and having the they call it the and it's not a curse i've got three daughters i have no no boys just like most wrestlers and fighters um we, we seem to have all daughters, but you had four daughters, and now they, they named it the Gable Curse. And when I when I got married and started having kids, I feared the Gable Curse. And the product of oh, that is, is three daughters for me, sir. Well, I'll tell you what. I got four daughters, but then I got four granddaughters, but I got eight grandsons. So it's kind, it kind of evens out and i tell you what i really enjoy and that's what i do a lot right now i do a lot is watching them play football watching them basketball watching them wrestle watching them uh play baseball mostly and 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 uh they're good students and uh, a couple of them even like girls but but uh you know, it's one of these things that uh uh it's 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 a good time and i tell you what when you do a good job it carries over so you got yeah. three daughters and if you did a good job with them, it's going to carry over for you. Great. So for me, it's still carrying over. I don't really have too many disappointments out there at all. And uh, I don't plan on having any. So I'm working on it all the time. Yeah, I get working I get on it all the time. Yeah. My, kids, my kids are wonderful, great students, great swimmers. So I'm, I'm very pleased, very pleased about that. What, what do you do nowadays to keep yourself in shape? I mean – um, I'm, I'm of course not a professional athlete anymore. I used to be able to do a lot of things that, um, you know, I, I, I certainly don't want to get punched in the head anymore and, and <laughs> do a bunch of the crazy stuff, but I, I like to run. I like to work out. I, you know, I've my longest run, gosh, a couple of years ago was 75 miles. So I'm, I'm trying to ran, ratchet back up and get to where I can do the, the ultra marathon hundred, hundred miler. But, um, I know that you, you, stay busy on the aerodyne and jump in the sauna a lot and stuff like that still yeah absolutely i it kind of again i kind of read the situation the situation if i'm sore i'll go about certain things you know i'm i'm a little bit under the weather right now i just you know i just coming through a uh, a little bit of a cold and so you don't want to go out there and spit and tear your body down but you know, i'm still going to ride the aerodyne and i'm still going to ride it pretty hard but not going to ride it long and i think you'll probably get to the point where you start realizing that 
longevity might not be the thing that you want after a certain point in time when things start getting a little sore because you can wear those joints out. And so, you you know, you kind of all of a sudden do a lot of warm-up things and then you go like hell and you feel great and then you go recover again, whether it be a, a hot tub or a cold plunge or a sauna or a steam. Uh, I do those things every day. I don't do them anymore longevity-wise. It's more like just to what I need to feel good. That's what keeps you going. But, uh, you know, it's it's a never-ending process. Uh, you hope that you'll never get to the point where, you, you know, you can't do some of these things. But uh, I actually swim a lot, too. Uh, when I'm really sore, I just hot tub and swim. And so that's why I go to Florida a little bit. Uh, so outdoors a little bit in the uh, in the uh, in the winter a little bit, but I can't miss miss too much wrestling either. So of course nowadays you can see it everywhere, Big Ten Network. You know, oh yeah. And have you, so you t- have you close. have you kicked the Mountain Dew coach in my show research and show prep? I see uh, uh, you know I, Mountain I'm Dew was one of your. I still got some. Uh, you know, I I told you earlier that if you get tough enough, you can you can eat about anything. Well, <laughs> uh, you got to be smart, and so instead of having six pack of dew i might only have a couple dews a day or something like that or maybe if i was if i was traveling i might not have any but uh i'd start craving it I'm a little bit addicted to it but uh <laughs> but not bad not bad so i i like uh, you know i have a couple you know i got a beer out now that's called gable beer it's called muni Kellis. and uh so i you know i i only you know i got a limit on that as well only two and two so, two thirty two ounces yeah, was your rule two and two sixteen ounces. Oh. If I had two thirty-two, I'd, I'd go to I'd go to another uh, case. But, um, so it's a good beer. So I got this painting out, and then the next next year there's going to be a, a movie called The Last Champion that's going to come out. It's not on me, but it's on. It's kind of a good Hallmark type of movie, but it's uh, it's about the sport of wrestling. That's that's the sport that's involved in the movie, and it's not about the sport of wrestling, but it's about a nice little town that's going to be uh, uh, has a nice story to it so so did anyway, you so I get involved. were you a consultant that? on that movie i've actually got a little piece a little part in it and i'm also uh i'll be a, a guy that goes out and kind of leads the direction of it they they'll use me ahead of the movie as it goes to places but that's great but no but i um i do stuff like that but i'm, I'm always thinking about the sport of wrestling thinking about my family you know those types of things so uh i'm not going you know i'm not um uh, and I, my life, you know, I mean, my health, my health is really important to me. Uh, and I work on it just like I worked on my health when I wanted to be a good, healthy wrestler, you know, so there's no right. difference, but I, I have tamed, tamed down a little bit. I don't think I want to push till I pass out, but you know, if I pass out, you know, somebody will get me, wake me up. <laughs> I love it. So we, we won't keep you much longer, but I've got to get these, uh, got to get these questions out of the way. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a ball hog, so to speak, right now with questions over Jeff, but I apologize. That's quite all right. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, the legendary stories of the, the Iowa wrestling team, uh, maybe slapping the wrestling team or some football players around, kind of just jumped jumped into our uh, conversations as when I was in middle school and, and high school and, and those legendary moments of, of a few few Iowa wrestlers getting a little unruly now and then wrestlers will be wrestlers of course but uh maybe you have a good a good story about about one of those instances up there in uh, Iowa City 
Well, you know, there's a lot of good stories. Uh, there's uh, some that you can tell and there's some that you can't tell. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they're definitely uh, uh, wrestlers. You know, you want them to be good people, so you you got to teach them uh, what their limits are too. But sometimes when they're young and a little bit foolish, uh, you know, we talk, we we brought up, we brought Royce Elger's name up, so we might as well stick with him a little bit. I used to go down to the bars every night to uh, about 12 o'clock just to walk in the front door so I could all the, the wrestlers would run out the back door. But you know, but but that was that was part of my routine, which I shouldn't have really had to do it. I should have had more discipline. But you know, they're young kids, and I'm not gonna tell them exactly what they can and can't do. It's just you know they got to learn on their own a little bit. But but I had to at least uh, double check a little bit. So anyway, but one time, uh, you know, one of those uh, exits out the back door, Royce. Um, so, uh, well, the actual the the guy that I they had somebody positioned at the door that was non wrestler, and when I came in, they would kind of have a signal for the people in the back playing pool and having a few beers or whatever they were doing. They would go out the back door. So one time, uh, Royce had to get this last shot in on a pool ball. And so he waited just a little extra second, so he had to run out the door. When he opened that door and ran out, he really wasn't looking where he was going. He ran into a big old tree, knocked himself out, and, uh, uh, you know, one of those things. But the story is that uh, actually he, um, a policeman was out back there, and they kind of checking with him. And, and he says to him, he says, um, you okay? And Roy says, yeah. And he goes, and he says, sir, uh, he says, I'm going to have to check your, uh, you know, see how many beers you had or whatever. And, and uh, Roy says, uh, you, you don't know me? Because, you know, Roy thinks everybody knows him. Right. Always. Because, you know, he's pretty famous. But and, <laughs> and the guy goes, the guy goes, you know, no, I really don't know you. Can you give me your identification? So he took off running again. <sighs> and by this time, though, he hit a, another big tree and that was it. So they got him. I got him. He just uh, <laughs> he couldn't see that good after dark. About to say two trees. <laughs> I, I'm not so sure who got the bad end of that. Those oak trees or, or Royce? Because Royce probably probably knocked him down. You know. Yeah. He's pretty tough dude. Pretty tough guy. I, and I'll, this will be my this will be my last one. I'll let Jeff talk. But uh, the one of the funniest stories I've ever heard in my life was two Iowa wrestlers. But this was after your coaching years. I'm sure that you. Um, talk to the brands boys and everything about this when it happened, but uh, the 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 Ryan boys up there in Iowa City who were arrested for illegally hunting rabbits in town uh, because they were they were wanting to get the pelts to make uh, rabbit hats. Yeah, <laughs> you know sometimes. Yeah, I mean here's the thing, you know you can you can actually hunt rabbits legally you don't have to go in 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 town and and start uh you know shooting them so you know it's a little bit uh not smart on there you know in fact they're right in right in the city limits and and i think one of the uh the neighbors just it was in their garden and i think the neighbor probably wouldn't have said anything but they didn't want that guy, you didn't want to see him tearing up their garden i mean so he went in there and they called the cops and they get a little trouble in it i don't think they did too much hard time but well, you can take the take the, take the boy off the farm, but can't take the farm out of the boy, right? Well, they don't. You know, they just. I mean, hey, listen. I've had kids come from in Montana. I had kids come from, uh, and they're famous kids. They're named Zaddix, and I had them come from South Dakota. They yeah. Arabia. These are these are famous wrestlers that are 
some of the Iowa's all-time great, but they never could learn Iowa had speed limits. And South Dakota didn't, North Dakota didn't, Montana didn't, and you could go as fast as you want in those days. So, you know, they would always get in trouble with the police because of speeding, and they just couldn't learn because the first 17 years of their life, you know, they, they were never under any speed limits. So sometimes you got to realize where you're at and you got to learn quick, otherwise you're going to be in trouble. Right. Well, we won't bug you much more, Coach. We want to get that website again with your – with your artwork that's been that's been done, and also talk a little bit more, uh, you know, the upcoming Iowa meets, maybe people can get to and and uh, watch on Big Ten Network also. Yeah, the art of the fight. www.mikecupka.com. K-U-P-K-A. Mike Kupka. The art of the fight. Some awesome art of Mr. Dan Gable. Yeah, that's my whole life there, and there's a lot of stories to be told in that, and you won't be able to figure it out, but I can. And you'll hear me talking about it for the rest of my life. So, and hopefully it'll go get carried on. Yeah, and I'd say that you know we have uh, some good wrestling. It's a lot of uh, interesting uh, situations this year with the Iowa wrestling team because right now Penn State's kind of up there alone, looking like they're kind of going to sail through. But it's it's too early yet to see what's going to happen. And the Hawkeyes have a lot of new people in there. And they haven't even put some of their starters in yet. They they've they're already ranked like third in the country, but um, you know that's not where the brands like to be ranked. Uh, in fact, they don't care where they're ranked. They just want to end up winning the national championship, and, and that's right. kind of where they're heading for. So, I would say they're going to have to you know piece it together a little bit all year long. It's going to be a, a process that if they're going to win, it's going to take the full year to win because Penn State is pretty much loaded. Ohio State's got a good team. Oklahoma State's got a good team. Michigan's got a good team. So we don't have many of those dual meets this year either. We I think we wrestle Oklahoma State. Otherwise, we're not going to see these guys until maybe tournaments or the Big Ten Championship. So we got a good season to look up to. We just don't have a lot of great duels where we're going to go back and forth we should uh, be able to dominate most of the duels, but uh, got to prove it first. Got to prove it. Right. Okay. Well, good hearing from you, sir. Thank you very much for your time, for even jumping on with us. And uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Really an honor. Absolutely. No, hey, thanks. That, no, I had a great time. I had a great time. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Dan Gable, ladies and gentlemen.